Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Today we're uh, digging back into Galatians. But before I do, let me, uh, let me open this up with prayer. Um, that'd be good. Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for your word that has so much to say to us about who you are, so much to say about who we are, uh, how you look at us, how you treat us, think about us. Um, so I just pray for your spirit to be uh, active as we uh, share the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, great. Uh, this is week number three. I want to do a quick little review, touch a couple things uh, about Galatians, if you haven't made the first two or um, just need a little review anyway. Uh, Galatia is a region. Uh, Galatians are the people of that region. Unlike most letters written in the New Testament to cities like Ephesus, Philippi, uh, Colossae, uh, those are all individual churches. This is a region that's that uh, an important distinction. This is probably Paul's first letter written to various church uh, entities uh, in the New Testament. Uh, it's probably written between his first and second missionary journey. Uh, went through this area the first time and uh, had a response, which we're going to get into. And then uh, now he's writing a letter to address some things that have come up since his first trip through Galatia. Uh, I will say a lot of people kind of refer to Galatians as, as kind of Paul's gospel. Uh, and it's really probably not the best way to phrase that because it's not Paul's gospel, it's the gospel. It's Paul's take on or emphasis on the gospel. There's only one gospel, and he makes that clear in Galatians. Uh, but in particular, this is the gospel presented to non Jewish people. Uh, that's kind of the focus of, of this book, is how to, uh, how to relate. What do we do with non-Jews who say yes to following this Jesus guy? Uh, and that's kind of be the heart of this discussion. I will say, um, this is just a little side note, may not necessarily be true, but I think it's provocative to think about. Uh, it tells us a little bit about maybe the way we respond to things. But Jesus personally called 12 disciples uh, personally anointed them to be part of his 12 or three years of ministry. Um, and then, of course, uh, we all know that Judas betrayed Jesus. And the church's response is, oh, we've got to replace this guy. Uh, we need 12 disciples. Uh, always supposed to be 12. We've got to replace him. Um, and so they acted fairly quickly. Uh, I wonder if God didn't already, if Jesus didn't already have a plan to replace Judas, that maybe that was what Paul was supposed to be, because if we look at his story, uh, he was personally confronted by Jesus, the risen Jesus. Jesus called him, told him he was going to be a disciple, going to be a, an apostle, and he specifically gave him a calling that you're going to preach the gospel to the Gentile world and to the rulers of the Gentile world. So he gave him an anointing, and then as uh, was shared two weeks ago, maybe even last week as well, uh, Paul spent how many years with just Jesus learning uh, what he needed to learn? Three years. Uh, so Jesus personally discipled Paul for three years, and then he went on his journey. I, I just think that's interesting. Sometimes we get a little impatient with God and think, oh, well, clearly we have to take action. Um, we're not very good at waiting for God to do it 
his way sometimes. But just a thought, just a thought. Um, maybe true, maybe not. Um, uh, it is not, again, not a different gospel. We'll get into more of that um, next week. I'll be doing the next couple of weeks in addition to today, and we're going to look at that uh, idea. Uh, but the battle or the debate all through Galatians, the theme, if you will, of Galatians, uh, and really the whole New Testament is what do we do with non-Jewish believers? How do they fit into the body? How do they fit into this church being developed? Um, and at the end, we'll look at how does that relate to us. So with all that, uh, I have to give you a little background. Um, during the time of Jesus, in that generation or so, actually about a generation before Jesus, uh, two predominant rabbis, two schools of interpretation uh, were being kind of presented uh, to the Jewish culture. And uh, these two rabbis are named Hillel, and I apologize for not having them up there, uh, Hillel and Shammai. Those were the two dominant schools of thought, and how do we live out the written law? And they were the ones responsible for kind of initiating the minash or the the oral tradition that the Jews would follow. They had their written law, but how do we live it out? And so there were these two dominant schools of interpretation and how to interpret Torah well and how do you live it out. Well, they all agreed on the most important thing, and that was, what's the greatest commandment? And both of those schools of thought would say, well, clearly, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. No debate. Uh, and they debated, or they had uh, conflict on a number of minor issues. But for today, the one that's really important and kind of sets a framework for why this book is being written the way it is by Paul is uh, if you ask, what's the next most important commandment? What's the second most important commandment? Well, if you are a Shammai follower, uh, and again, this is like a generation before Jesus, so it was a hot topic of the day, was how do you land on this really important topic. The question was, what's the second most important commandment? If you were a Shammai follower, you would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second greatest commandment, obey the Sabbath. Obey the law. That was their, that's the two most important things. Love love Lord God, obey. Obey the Sabbath. If you were a Hillel follower, uh, ascribed to that school of thought, you would say, Number one commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. Sound familiar? <laughs> uh, those are two different things. It's not, not like one is right, one is wrong. They're both important. They're both very vital to their faith. But it's an issue of which is more weight, which is more uh, important uh, in certain circumstances. Well, it, it comes out... Um, you may have heard that before, but let's, let's see where Jesus had asked that question. Again, if you're a rabbi of the day, that's a question commonly asked. Hey, what's the most important commandments? Um, so Matthew twenty two thirty five says, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, pretty clear. Jesus is, maybe the people today thought, oh, Jesus is a follower of Hillel. Uh, I might suggest that 
Hillel just got closer to the heart of God, the heart of Jesus, in how to interpret the law. What's the real, what's the most important thing in the law? So here are these two places they landed. Uh, love God and either obey or love your neighbor as yourself. Those were the two big things. Obeying the law was the way you loved God. So it was a very good measure. If you love God, you're going to do these things. Um, well, then uh, another point where uh, he got confronted is in Matthew 12, 9 to 13. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? <laughs> you have to understand that most of the Pharisees, most of the ruling council, the Sanhedrin, the people in charge, the vast majority of them were followers of Shammai. They were very much about obeying the law and obeying the Sabbath. Um, so here they confront Jesus. He's in the synagogue. There's a guy with a shriveled arm. And looking for a reason to bring charges, is it lawful to, to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Doing good, loving your neighbor, doing the right thing is more weight than obedience. Uh, that will kind of frame the context of what we're talking about. Because in the same way, Paul is making an argument that grace has more weight than obedience. Uh, that that's the heart of God. That's the heart of the gospel. Um, so that gives you some context of uh, where the hearers in this uh, are at. Well, also important, uh, where's Paul stand? Well, pretty clear. Paul was a disciple. His rabbi, when he uh, grew up in Tarsus, his rabbi was a guy named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was the grandson of Hillel. So guess where Paul's dominant thought was about how to interpret the law? Love your neighbor as yourself has more weight than obedience. Both important has more weight, more important than obedience. Um, so that frames the conversation we're about to have. Uh, let me give you a little map, a little idea, because this, this is really important. You see uh, over here, you see Tarsus right there, uh, and then you see below it is Antioch. Well, that's, that's where Paul grew up. That's probably where he first preached in that area. And again, this is an area dominated by Hillel followers uh, because he was the dominant rabbi of the area. So that's why you don't see any controversial letters written to the church at Antioch or Tarsus because they accepted the message more readily than Galatians did because most of the Shammai followers, the rulers in that area, the synagogue, the Jewish leaders, were Shammai followers. They migrated into Galatia. So that's the environment that the gospel is being presented is in this more confrontational uh, audience, if you will. Uh, so just to give you a little framework as we move in, uh, why we have such a harsh reaction in Galatia. Well, probably good to actually get started in our text. Uh, Galatians 3. We'll get there. We have just some good background. Uh, but Galatians 3.1 starts out this way. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's how Paul starts this chapter. Well, it's really important to know which Galatians he's talking about, and who is bewitching you. What, what does that mean? Who are these people? Um, well, there are three groups of people in the audience of Galatia. Uh, 
just to be clear. One group is the Jewish community. These are people that were born into the faith of being a Jew. It's their heritage. Uh, they obviously are doing all they can to honor God in their uh, expression of their faith. Uh, often referred to as the brothers, if you see that in Scripture, a lot of times that's the term Paul uses for his Jewish counterparts or your brothers. Uh, then the second group would be the proselytes, and these are people who are were Gentiles, non-Jews, that were attracted to uh, to the God of the Jewish faith, and they would convert to Judaism. They would take on, uh, they would be circumcised, they would take on the uh, oral tradition, all of that. Um, ha- uh, yeah, where was I going on that one? Oh, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, they would take on all the customs and traditions, and they were considered fully Jewish. Full inclusion had all the rights and benefits of being in the Jewish community. And they were often referred to as sons of Abraham. You are now no longer Gentiles. You are Jews. You are sons of Abraham because you converted and you will honor God in the Jewish faith. And then there's a third group, which are the God-fearing Gentiles. These are non-Jews who were attracted to God that worshipped in the synagogue, welcomed by the Jews. They weren't outcast by any means. They were welcomed, uh, but they weren't fully included in the body of believers unless they converted to Judaism. Uh, So, again, very welcome, uh, but just not at equal standing. Uh, Well, now, Paul comes along. This is the group he's speaking to, the God-fearing Jews who are attracted to God. And we'll see as we go along here, when he first went through the region and preached, a lot of them became believers. And so Paul creates this fourth category. Fourth category of being having full inclusion in the body of, uh, of believers without having to become Jewish. Well, that's where the conflict was. That's where uh, the debate was, was heavy. Was, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, you have to kind of think, these are the Jewish people who were called by God, chosen by God, God gave the loss, freedom from slavery, uh, gave them the promised land, gave them the prophets, the temple. Uh, well, clearly, they centuries. They always had this mindset that we're the chosen people of God. You have to be Jewish if you want to be accepted by God. So that's part of what's being played out here. Um, so moving on, uh, we can see, uh, well, who's doing the bewitching, by the way? Uh, well, now we know he's, he's primarily writing to the God-fearing Jews who are in this caught in the middle of what do we do with this new belief uh, without becoming Jewish. Um, well, uh, who's doing the, most of the controversy? Well, the, um, the Jews, well, uh, let, me, let me start with this, Acts. Acts is kind of the narrative, the, the story of what's going on that, uh, when Paul is going through this region the first time. Uh, Galatians is his letter back to the region, but Acts 13 to 15 is the story of Paul going to these areas. So we're going to look at a couple of those uh, parts here. Uh, First one is uh, Acts 13, 13, 39 to 43. And again, he's writing to, uh, or this, this is the account in Acts, Paul's message to the entire group, all three groups. This is what he says. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days. 
that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak again about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism, so here are the first two categories, the Jews and the devout converts to Judaism, uh, followed them around and talked to them and were urged to continue in the grace. So they accepted the Paul's first message this first Sabbath day. It's like, oh, that's great news until the next week. This is where it kind of hits the fan. Um, continuing on, Acts 13, 44 to 49. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word. Well, so what does that mean? It means the Jews were probably not in the majority. They're a minority in every, this is a Roman region, Roman territory, Roman-dominated cities. Um, so the Jews were a relatively smaller community. So who's... Who's the whole city coming? Well, it's probably the Gentiles, the God-fearing Gentiles that said, hey, friends, family, you got to come hear this guy. This, this is a message for us. This is good news for us. And so the whole town comes out to hear this message, and now the Jews are overwhelmed, a little jealous, and a little angry because it's like, you are taking our place. You are suggesting that this community, which we see as holy and, and chosen by God, you're given a different message. And here's what it, it says. On the next Sabbath, the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowd, they became filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first, but since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord commanded us. And this is really important because this is, in the book of Isaiah, 700 years before, this is what God said through Isaiah. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So again, it was always a part of their mission as a Jewish nation to preach to the Gentiles. But they had become so ingrained in their own heritage, their own way of following God, honoring God, loving God, that they couldn't imagine people outside of that community having equal standing uh, with God. So that's where the reaction was. And from that time on, Paul went to the Gentiles, wouldn't go to the synagogue to begin with. He would uh, go to the Gentiles. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. So a lot of people gave their, uh, trusted their lives to Jesus. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them uh, from their region. So <laughs> that's, uh, in fact, if you read more in Acts, that's where he, uh, Paul was first stoned, thrown out, uh, almost killed. Uh, that was the reaction of the Jewish community. Um, so the question is, well, who's... Who's referring to by who's bewitched you with the message? It's probably the Jewish believers, the Jewish part of the crowd who said, yes, we're going to follow Jesus. And the proselytes who are now Jewish but also accepted the message. But they're thinking, but you've got to add to it. You've got to become Jewish. <laughs> you imagine the God-fearing Jew. We went through this. We got circumcised. We're following the law. How come you get a pass? Um, this is the God of the Jewish people. You've got to become Jewish. Those are the ones that are stirring up all the controversy. 
Um, again, because obeying the law is the dominant theme in their, in their minds. So, going on, um, next uh, Galatians 3, 2 to 3 says, and again, he's saying this to the God-fearing Gentiles, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or believing what you heard? Did you receive the Spirit? You've, you are a new person. You received the Spirit of God. Did you do it by obeying the law, by the works of the law? No. You did it by believing. And then he says, Are you so foolish, having, be, having begun by the means of the Spirit, you're now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Um, they're getting lots of pressure, mostly from the Jewish community, to say, you're not fully accepted by God unless you do these things. Uh, that's the message they're getting. And if they don't convert to Judaism, uh, they're pretty much shunned by the... Uh, they're no longer welcome because they're claiming equality without being Jewish. And they can't marry. They can't have the benefits of being Jewish. And maybe most important, uh, there's this little thing called Rome that dominates the area. And Rome said, you have to worship Caesar. Uh, the only exception to that was the Jewish community. Uh, Rome had come, come up against the Jews in a lot of places and just decided, you know what? They created what's called the Jewish exception. Only the Jews are exempt from worshiping Caesar. Uh, so if, if you become Jewish, you won't get persecuted. But now all these God-fearing Jews are saying, yes, we're going to follow Jesus. And we're not going to worship Caesar. And if they're not part of the Jewish community, they'll be arrested, killed, banished, uh, lots of suffering for not making that. And Paul's just saying, don't give in because of that. So he says in verse 4, have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? Paul knows that they're, they're being persecuted. Paul knows that their decision to say, yes, I, I am saved in essence by faith alone. I don't need to be under the law. I don't need to be Jewish. Uh, they're going to pay a price for that. And he said, don't give in to that. Don't dilute or diminish the power of the gospel by putting yourself under a, a Jewish law. Um, well, uh, he goes on in, in verse 10. He takes the law a little further. He says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For as it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Um, so he goes as far as to say, If you're under the law, if you submit to that, then now you're under a curse. You're only under a curse of the law if you become Jewish and have to obligate yourselves to the law. Um, I, I, quick note, when, it, when Paul says the works of the law or under the law, we kind of interpret faith versus works or faith or works. That we, we tend to look at works as being just good things we do. I'm living a good life. I'm doing good works. I'm doing good things. Um, but in the Jewish mind, it means the whole package of becoming Jewish. The works of the law are being under the law means I'm being circumcised, I'm uh, adhering to the oral traditions, I'm eating kosher, I'm doing all the festivals, I'm, I'm doing everything. Um, and there's a term for that, it's called halakha in the Hebrew. Halakha is just really how you live out uh, the oral tradition. People say, how's your halakha? <laughs> kind of meant, how's, how's living your life for God? Oh, I'm doing this and this and this. And this. I'm, I'm a good halakha. That would be their, their response. 
So that's the way they evaluated where they were. They're under the law, though. They're obligated to do everything that the law said. And Paul now calls that a curse. Does that mean the law is a curse? No. He didn't say the law is a curse. The law is good. And it's good to do things of the law. But he says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Um, and that verse he quotes, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything. That was written in Deuteronomy. When God gave him the law, he said, just know that you're under, well, you're under a curse if you're obligated because you have to do everything the law says. Um, for us, our vernacular would be once sinned, you know, you've sinned. You've sinned once, that's, that's, you violated the law. That's kind of our way of looking at that idea, that God has freed us from that uh, curse, if you will, of being under sin or in sin. Um, well, it goes on. Um, <laughs> Paul, oh, really important, Paul didn't stop being Jewish. Uh, this gospel doesn't take the place of being Jewish. Paul continued to do all the festivals. You'll see if you read through Acts, he's going to Jerusalem for the festival. He's going to do the sacrifice. He still eats kosher. He still does all the things that he would do because he is under that covenant. He's obligated to that. He just no longer relies on that. He no longer has confidence in that to be his to be right with God, if that makes sense. Uh, but he's still doing it all. Uh, he writes this in Philippians. Um, Philippians 3, 3 to 8 says this, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence... If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I mean, he's saying, I have done, I'm born right, I did all the right things, I was a Pharisee, I was faultless in my halakha. But then he goes on, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So now he's basically saying, love for Christ, the grace I have in Christ has more weight than obedience. Doesn't make obedience wrong. He's still doing it. He's just no longer dependent on it. He's not relying on it. Uh, that's, that's the distinction he's making. Uh, for whatever gains uh, to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, the greater weight. For, the, for whose sake I, I consider them now garbage, that I may gain Christ. Um, so that's the comparison he's making. Uh, <clears throat> he goes on in Galatians 3.11, Clearly no one who relies on the law is, uh, law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Uh, if, you, if you are under the law, you are obligated to do it all, and you can't. So don't rely on that. You've got an alternative. You can, uh, you can rely on the grace of Christ. And then he makes this astounding statement in 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Uh, what a great thought. 
that Jesus became a curse for us to pay the price of what being obligated to the law meant to free us from the law. For it is written, everyone who is hung on a pole is cursed uh, or a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Um, so there's his, there's his argument. Uh, the two weights, the two, grace has more weight than obedience. Both are good, both are important. But don't rely on the law, don't rely on doing the right thing. Well, great, Gary, that was great. Half an hour, good job. Uh, how, do we, how does that relate to us? I'm not Jewish, I'm not under the law. This is not applicable to me. Or is it? Because I think in our modern day uh, church experience, I wonder if we don't fall into the same pattern. If we don't, uh, maybe you could substitute the works of the law for right thinking, right living, which we still, are we starting to transfer our reliance on the grace of Christ and transferring it to doing the right things, thinking the right things? Um, I would suggest that Paul probably could written a letter to us and maybe it would go a little more like this. Um, you who started out so well by faith alone, why are you now depending on other things to make you right with God? You know, I was one of those. I, I committed my life to Christ. I have, by grace alone, I am saved. I am in the right place with God because of Jesus. But then I go, but I have to do this and that. And, and uh, we add a lot of things to the formula that I start to say, you know, if you ask somebody, hey, are you, are you saved? Great question, which is kind of irrelevant That's uh, in, in some ways. Are you saved? Well, yes, I, am, uh, I live this way. I believe this. I go to church. I said this prayer. I was baptized. I was immersed. <laughs> you know, we kind of have these categories of, well, yes, faith alone, but have you done this? Do you believe this? Uh, what's your life look like? Are you doing the right things? Again, those things are great. Those things are things we should do. But are we relying on those things? Or are we doing those things in response to the grace of God in our life? Because there's a huge difference between that. Um, because there are a lot of people that do those things thinking, if I just go to church, do these things, get baptized, say the right prayer, uh, then I will be fine. Certainly God will have grace on me. And <laughs> we just nullified the whole thing. Because we put ourselves under the law because we rely on those things. Um, I will add to that list just because it was part of my personal experience. When I was in college 40-some <clears throat> years ago, uh, right here at WSU, uh, trying to live out my life, had a group of friends, but there was also a community of people in our Pullman community uh, that believed that you weren't truly saved unless you spoke in tongues. That was kind of a big deal in the 70s. It's like, because if you don't speak in tongues and you don't have evidence of having the Spirit... Holy Spirit in your life. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, you're not saved. So you have to speak in tongues. <laughs> I'm going, okay. I mean, not a gift I was given. But it was a, still a struggle for a lot of us to say, well, maybe I'm not saved if I don't. Maybe I don't have the Spirit in me. Maybe I don't have the right evidence of this. Other people might use something like baptism or other criteria to say, well, unless you've done that, uh, yeah, accepting Jesus by faith, but you have to evidence it by this. Um, I would 
remember what Paul says. Uh, I don't think I don't think we understand how radical, dynamic grace really is. If we can truly say, "I am saved by grace," period. I am saved only because of what Jesus did, not because of anything I do, have done, or will do. Has no bearing. It's all because of what He did. That's what I'm relying on. That's where my confidence is in. I will do these other things because I want a healthy relationship with Jesus. I'll do those things because that's a way to honor God, to love God by doing those things. But I can't rely on those things to put me in a right place with God. He's already done that. Um, That's, I think, the battle we fight, uh, is really understanding how, just like the Jews, how radical a message it was to them. What do you mean you don't have to become Jewish? You have to. You have to do these things to be chosen by God. Um, We have the same choice. Are we really going to live by faith? And are we going to live it out with joy because we're not obligated to it, but because we want to love God and and live well and reflect him to people around us? We want to be an expression of the gospel. Um, So there's... there's, uh, the question. There's the, there's the response. There's the challenge for us. Maybe just to evaluate, how much do I depend on other things besides grace? How much do I look at other people and say, do I challenge them? Do I misrepresent? Am I putting pressure on other people to say, hey, you need to do this? Hey, do you believe this? Because uh, you really need to. Um, that, that would be our, maybe the letter he would write to us. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, very uh, popular verse, great verse. Again, written by Paul in Ephesians. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And, uh, you know, easy to say amen to that. That's our, that's our evangelical banner right there. But I'm just going to read it in the New Gary World translation, see if it makes sense. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not because of your doctrine, your church affiliation, being baptized, praying the right prayer, what you do or how you live your life, or whether you speak in tongues, uh, lest anyone should boast. Gosh, how refreshing to say, by grace I've been saved because of what he's done. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.